All right, let me start chewing this. Fuck. <laughs> you know? I had an argument that ended a friendship in second grade because I used to call lozengers long dentures. <laughs> she got so pissed at me that we didn't I talk would too. Anymore. Are you sure that wasn't me? <laughs> Kane doesn't like it either. Long dentures. Fuck off. <laughs> Welcome to Texas Ten. Welcome to Texas Ten Thirty One, everybody. <laughs> so we're your host, Cassie and Hannah. Ten Thirty One is a Houston police code for crime in progress, and as you can probably guess, you smart cookie, we discuss crimes and mainly murder that occur in Texas. Uh, y'all already know, but if you're new, they can go visit our website. Do it now. Please. We're waiting. We don't have advertisements yet, so we just really want no. you to go see. Well, we might. Things. We might. I said yet. Oh, yet. Well, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, it's Texas1031podcast.com. You'll find all the links to our social media, Instagram, Facebook, where to email us. Uh, we have Twitter. Twitter. Why didn't I put that in there? I'm like, I don't know, but Hannah fixed Twitter. I made a Twitter. We did the Twitter. We did the Twitter? We tweet now. We did the Twitter. Yeah. Mm-mm. It's a new dance move. I like that. Um, we are also on Podbean. So you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher. And if you are on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. Do it now, ASAP. So every episode, we're going to bring you two murder cases, <laughs> guys. Tonight, we have... Ha- People. Okay. Tonight, one is in we Austin. Got, we got hyper all of a sudden. We did get really hyper. I'm still... I'm drinking a 3.5% ABV sour what even is it called it's a berliner vice anyways that doesn't matter we have a case tonight in austin and the other is in the woodlands kind of again you know i did one in conroe last week so oh okay yeah i was like what um but guys we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and uh thanks thanks so much thanks welcome 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 um yeah (laughs) (laughs) is this a mini sode this is no, a regular this sode. is a regular sode. <laughs> the regular sode. Hannah um, is forgetting where we are today. So this is episode 19, the regular sode. Well, or it might be 18, depending on which one comes out first. No, we'll do... We're trying a thing where we record two things yeah. in the same night, and it's definitely going to cause a lot of confusion yeah. because it's us. Well, plus because that was like a mi- that was a mini-sode, and mm-hmm. so there's like extra. Or maybe the mini-sodes can be 0. 0.5, and so mm-hmm. now we're... 18.5 and 17.5 yeah we'll whatever. do whatever we want yeah exactly <laughs> we don't care we're here yes it's <laughs> our spring break sort of week of releasing new things um Ooh. we will or have released the mini episode mm-hmm. we have a regular episode we're recording another mini episode at the end of the week mm-hmm. it'll be released later we already told you guys this on instagram so you should know by now yeah Follow our social media to be on the up and up as yeah. far as things that happen here. Um, FYI, we just got named the 24th, or uh, number 24 on the Stitcher's 
top 100 up and coming whatever pod- fastest growing podcast yay it's a really catchy title it really is it's a it's a mouthful <laughs> and so we're super cool thank we're really excited thank you for making it happen for us and yeah we are like Cassie said we're gonna start trying to do two recordings in one that was gross she just like turned oh, damn hand. it i thought you weren't looking at me so i don't know how you saw that i was it's <laughs> I licked okay. the foam from my cider off of my hand that i have pet cane with That's recently <laughs> he's super clean yes um yeah we're gonna be recording two things at once so we will have episodes every week we will try and do our best to keep it up. We haven't officially decided on when that's going to start because I'm moving and packing and unpacking and life. And Cassie is super busy as well. So uh, we'll let you know. Um, <laughs> do you have recommendations this week? I actually do. Cool. I don't. Oh, yay. My recommendation perfect. section is empty. Yeah. Literally empty. <laughs> cool. Oh, good. I felt like an actual human, like, all day today, just like, oh, I have three recommendations. I'm so proud of myself. Yes. So, number one, you've probably already seen it. I don't think you have, because we haven't talked about it yet. Or maybe you have. If you haven't seen Black Panther yet. No. In theaters. That sounded really rude, but (laughs) I didn't mean it for it to be that way. I really love Marvel movies. They're really, like, they're awesome. I love them. And Black Panther is hands down the best one that's ever been made. Everyone's right. And if you were planning on seeing it, but like waiting for Redbox something, go see it in theaters because it is the coolest thing. It's really cool. The way they they put in, Brennan and I were talking like about how they threw in the racial injustices and they do it in such a way that, you know, Bigot Bobby sitting next to you in the theater is oh. going to storm out in an I outrage. Was a character in the movie. Oh, no, 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 no. Wow. Sorry. Yeah. I <laughs> forget that you don't. Yeah. So it, they did it in such a way. You, you're racist. <laughs> Big and Bobby over here. <laughs> but they did it in a, in a way that drove their point home, but without offending, I'm just going to say it, offending stupid people mm. that are going to be offended because they're white and they're sensitive about everything that they have They probably done. wouldn't go to the movie anyway, so probably, probably not, okay. but I mean, it's going to be, they, also the way they did it, it's like going to be an integral part in the Marvel Universe, so you okay. kind of have to see it <laughs> to watch the other ones now. It's great. So that's number one. Okay. Number two is I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Mm. I accidentally ended up on a two-hour walk with my dog today because I started listening to that book. And the this is my first book on Audible. I've never listened to a book before. But, oh, wow. I'm sure you all are already reading it. Hannah's going to get a hard copy. Yeah, like, I'm waiting. It's, it's fantastic the way that she does this. I'm about, I think I got five or six chapters in. Dang. Yeah. I Yeah. And it, it, it's good. So, Super proud of Michelle McNamara. I wish she was here to like reap all these successes. It, oh God, it makes, it makes me, me so happy so sad. how Patton oh. is honoring her. <laughs> oh yeah, but yeah, it makes, it me, makes so... me super sad that she can't enjoy yeah the legacy. I guess. Um. So and then number three, um, it's very disclaimer. It's super 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 left leaning. Mm. I'm sure everyone who's listened for more than like an episode where I'm in can figure out that I'm pretty left-leaning liberal. But if you kind of are either interested in that or you also feel that way, Pod Save America is really great. 
Oh, that's hilarious. Listening. Do you listen to that? No, or? I was just saying Pod Save America. That's a really catchy, funny title. Isn't it nice? Dang. Basically, like, these two guys, are not there's multiple contributors, but I think it's two main guys. Um, they both worked for Obama in Obama's presidency. I think one of them was, like, a speechwriter. Like, they did mm-hmm. stuff for him, so they're very, like, Democratic left-leaning. Um, but they're, they started their podcast very recently you know about a year ago when trump got in office to just kind of be like okay we need to talk about how things are happening and why they're happening Mm -hmm. and yeah like so their podcast is to like spread general actual logic and knowledge all right let's get into the episode yay whatever number this is yes no one knows whose turn is it you or me it's yours it is i kind of thought so yes all right i'm i'm cool with that because i I care about this case very much. So, tonight I am covering... Oh, wait. Hold on. What? (laughs) I only know about this case because I remember clicking on it a long time ago and thinking... I literally laughed out loud of like, I can't, I can't take this girl seriously. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no, like this is horrific. Mm-hmm. But I was like, what a dumb bitch. Yep. And like just skipped right over it. Yep. So and I'm I glad you're covering it. was going to try to stay unbiased. I was going to try to present the facts and nothing else and let, you know, my personal things stay until the end. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, no, no, no. It's, it was going to be very difficult. I contacted... Um, I guess the camp for this person, we'll talk about it later, but um, I asked for a statement. They said they would send me one. I asked again. They never responded. So so since I am not giving any direct statement from, you know, the opposing side of things, I'm just going to say fuck it and go with what I feel and completely present my bias. Yeah, but she tried. For the first part, I will go through all of the facts first. Um, this... This case means something to me. I did not, I unfortunately did not have the pleasure of knowing one of the victims, but I did go to high school with him. He was a year behind me. Um, A lot of my friends, almost everyone I was friends with in high school knew him. And if they didn't know him very closely, they spoke very highly of him. Um, We'll talk about his character a little more just because, you know, from what I saw. But I knew this person. I've definitely said hi to him and Mm -hmm. definitely gave him a hug at some point when I met him. So it's just really surreal. And I remember when this whole thing happened and how devastated everybody in my high school community was. Um, So this definitely strikes a chord for me because I know people who were devastated by this. So this is the murder and I am saying murder, of Nicole Adams and Travis Saunders and the intense injury of David uh, Paris. Paris, poor Paris? Oh, shit. (laughs) I think it's P-A-R-R-A-S. So, but that all culminates to the case of Nicole Bacchus. So two Nicoles? Two Nicoles. Okay. Yes, so the nicole that i will be mentioning throughout the story is the defendant Mm -hmm. um when i'm talking about the victim i will say her full name okay um so on the night of june 29th 2012 close to 3 a.m um passenger keely mckay of a nearly missed truck calls 911 and reports a ford f-150 driving the wrong way down i-45 after entering the research forest drive exit (sighs) Moments later, the F-150 strikes a Chevy Arteo head-on. 
The collision took the lives of 19-year-old Nicole Adams, who was driving, and 18-year-old backseat passenger Travis Saunders. It also critically injured 21-year-old front seat passenger David Porras. See, there I put P-O-R-R-A-S. So there was was a lot of writing. Yeah, so David. (laughs) The driver was 23-year-old Nicole Baucus. So the night leading up to the accident, Nicole Baucus got off work at the Bikinis Bar off of I-45. If you live in Houston, you know exactly where that is. Um, off I-45, you know, in the Spring Woodlands area at 5.38 p.m. Um, this was proven with time card evidence from her workplace. And she drove the short distance to what at the time was on the rocks, sports bar, and grill on Sawdust Road. That is now the Flying Pug. So. Okay. Um, here she arrives at 6.13 p.m. meeting friend Megan Bates. Another friend, Jessica Jessica. Poitlinger was bartending. Uh, Poitinger. Poitinger. Yeah, I wrote that very small. (laughs) So I saw a couple different time frame stamps. Um, So this could be incorrect, um, just this portion of it. So arriving at 6.13, she consumed a beer. There is a three-hour break between that beer and her next beer that was recorded on video surveillance. I didn't see it anywhere, but that leads me to believe that she left. You mm-hmm. know, she left, she came back, she met another friend. Um, let's see. So, da da da. So, uh, at 9:23 p.m., she returns to have another beer. From this time until 1:46 a.m., Nicole consumed four beers and 17 shots. Oh my god. The shots were mostly Vegas bombs and Starfuckers. Woof. Yeah. Hannah and I both bartended together, um, so I'm going off the recipe that we would use at the restaurant we bartended at. Um, for Vegas Bombs and Starfuckers, they're Those both, are both so good, though. They're really good. They're really good. They're really <laughs> sweet shots. They're good. They're one and a quarter ounces of Crown Royale whiskey um, and three quarters ounce of either watermelon or peach schnapps, depending mm-hmm. on which one. Vegas Bomb is uh, peach, I think, Starfuckers or watermelon. Um, and then the rest is Red Bull to make a three-ounce drink um, or shot. It's a shooter shot. It's very sweet. Or it's um, a bomb. I, or is a bomb. bomb. Same yeah. difference. Yeah. Yes. Drop it in there. Exactly. Yeah. So you're getting a lot of Red Bull, especially if she's doing 17 of those on and off. She's drinking about three cans of Red Bull, I would say, maybe. Two or three, at if, least. Yeah. And then that's, you know, quite a few shots of Crown. Um, so she almost drank an oh entire God. standard bottle. Of crown? Of crown, yeah. Gross. She did this in just a little over five hours, mind you. Anyways, point being, these shots are all together weren't super strong, but they were laced with a lot of Red Bull, and she did a lot of them. I don't care how many of them were laced with whatever. You have 17 of something, you're fucked up. Most of the drinks um, were served to Nicole before 12 a.m., and they were served... Well, I'm sorry, most of the drinks served before 12 a.m. were served by waitstaff of On The Rocks Bar. After this, though, um, it seems that staff members stopped directly serving her, and nine of the shots were from friends and outsiders. So people were buying the mm-hmm. shots for her. So it is possible that the bar maybe cut her off, stopped serving her. Um, but as we'll find out later, they are still very liable. Okay, I was just writing about mm-hmm. that. So video surveillance from inside the bar that 
shows her from the beginning till the very end shows her falling into chairs and stumbling oh um God. she falls into tables she does a full like spin around move situation like she's fucked up at 1 58 a.m nicole leaves the bar and staggers out to her truck um her friend romy flowers climbs in the passenger seat they drive about 100 feet nicole stops romy gets out and romy gets into another vehicle Video then shows Nicole driving away alone at 2.02 a.m. The subsequent hour is largely unaccounted for, although a friend of Nicole testified that he had a couple phone conversations with Nicole. The last one, she said she was, quote, on the side of the road throwing up on herself. Oh, gross. Very intoxicated, behind the wheel. Multiple people that probably should have stopped her and could have stopped her. Um, we've seen at this point. So, Montgomery County Sheriff's Department Deputy Rovers, R-E-U-V-E-R-S, was the first on the scene minutes after the crash, um, just a little bit after 3 a.m. He found Nicole leaning on her F-150, so she was outside of her truck leaning on it. She said that she had not been driving. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She said a man was driving, but she didn't know his name. Officer Rovers uh, assumed that this meant the driver had been ejected from the vehicle. So he goes to investigate and look. Um, He comes upon the truck or the car that Nicole, Travis, and David had been in. He sees Travis Saunders and Nicole Adams deceased in the vehicle. They died instantly. Oh, my God. Several people had stopped and helped pull Davis. Oh, man, I'm going to cry. Helped pull David Porras out of the vehicle. Um, officers Harmon and Schmaltz arrived next. Smalch, <laughs> I know, I love it so much. Smalch approached Nicole and asked who was driving. She said, again, a man was, but she didn't know his name. It was noted that she was missing her left shoe and sock. The shoe and sock were seen in the driver's side floorboard of the truck, um, and only the driver's side airbag had been deployed. Hmm. Nicole continued to deny being the driver, but when asked where she thought she was, she said 2920 and I-45, about 15 miles south of where the crash, crash actually was. So she had no fucking idea where she mm. was. Wow. Officers also noted her smiling and laughing. So I'm picturing someone who's so drunk, she doesn't even fully grasp what just happened, and mm-hmm. now there are police around her, and she's kind of laughing at the presence of authority. Mm-hmm. She's so, you know, that's what I'm picturing, mm-hmm. not necessarily a devious, I just killed right. people laugh, yeah. but yeah. She has no she's idea what's happening. Mm-hmm. absolutely blitzed out of her mind. Um, Montgomery County Hospital Deputies Department, it's MCHD, I didn't write it all out, and I don't know what the D stands <laughs> for, um, but those medics arrive at the scene, And she then tells medics that she was indeed the driver. She was then transported to Memorial Hermann in the Woodlands and consents to a blood draw. Almost an hour after the crash is when the blood was initially taken and her blood alcohol level is 0.265. At least four times the legal limit of 0.08. At 5.30 a.m., it was taken again and was... 0.204 and showed a little valium in her system. Um, uh, Marijuana as well. I didn't write that down, but I did read that. So she is released from the hospital a few few hours later and booked into Montgomery County Jail. Oh my God, like the worst hangover of your life spent in jail. man. That sucks. (laughs) Um, So her trial begins 13 months later on July 29th, 2013. Um, How many months later? 
13. 13, okay, yeah. sorry. So a little over a year. Um, two charges of intoxication manslaughter and one count of intoxication assault are brought up against her, and she bleeds, pleads not guilty. Um, the defense attorney for her was attorney Mike McDougall. Um, the judge presiding over this case was Michael Seeler um, from a Montgomery County judge, and the prosecutors were Andrew James and Warren D. Pram. Police officers and expert witnesses testify, um, and there was a lot that, you know, a lot of people testified. People testified that were her friends. People test, you know, from all over, but a couple notable ones. Um, an analyst from the DPS removed and examined the driver's side airbag. There was found to be a one in two sextillion, which is 21 zeros, excuse me, I just burped into the microphone, <laughs> um, which is 21 zeros chance that the DNA found on the airbag, the pass or the uh, driver's side armrest, and the bloody sock on the floor of the car, uh, the driver's side of the car, were not Nicole's. So... It was hers. It was hers. Okay. Um, Dr. Field with Memorial Herman testified that Nicole suffered some, some abrasions and a fracture in her foot. Sole survivor David Porras shattered his upper jaw. Oh, my God. All his teeth <gasps> when he was slammed into the dashboard. Um, I wrote again, oh. he lost all his upper teeth, and he also had severe neck injuries. Um, at this time, at the time during the trial, he had already had 13 surgeries and more were to come. Dr. Field also said he, he treated both David and Nicole. He said when he told Nicole that she had killed two people, she laughed. Piss ass drunk. So oh her trial lasted, I read somewhere four days, but it, when I did the math, it's five days. <laughs> the trial lasted until August uh, 3rd, 2013. When Nicole shocked everybody, um, and at the advisement of her defense attorney, changed her plea to guilty and was sentenced to 38 years in prison. Um, she pled guilty to two counts of vehicular manslaughter and one count of vehicular assault. Before entering the guilty plea, she was facing up to 60 years in prison. So by pleading guilty, she definitely saved herself some time, it seems. For sure. Um, Nicole gave testimony during the sentencing portion of the trial. Um, in part, during her testimony, she said, quote, they did not deserve to die, I did. She also talked about her high school boyfriend who died in a drunk driving accident in 2007 and how she never wanted to put anyone through that pain. Um, then don't drink and drive. Mm-hmm. Stupid bitch. Mm. Ew. She previously claimed that she was drugged, but she did say during her final testimony that she did not remember consuming the 21 shots. Um the footage <laughs> was looked at. The footage from the bar was looked at. Um, it was six hours of footage. It was looked at over eight times. Looked at extensively to try to pinpoint where someone may have slipped something in her drink. Oh, okay. And it was found that that was not possible. Mm -hmm. That did not happen. Um, so prosecutors portrayed Nicole as an overindulgent party girl and sometimes drug dealer. Nicole's father also took the stand before deliberation about her sentencing, and he talked about his issues with alcohol and said that he was thankful to God that his daughter survived and couldn't imagine what the families of the victims are going through. Fred Saunders, Travis's father, said that he did not believe Nicole was remorseful, just scared to go to jail. He thought that she was putting on an act, um, just trying to gain sympathy at the last second to get a lesser sentence. 
So, uh, in the aftermath of this, the bar that she was at on the rocks um, settled to pay $1 million to Travis and Nicole's estates and David. Um, so, this was all split up. So, they mm-hmm. each got $330,000. Um, so, that bar closed down, which is now the flying pug. So, Nicole also appealed and requested a new trial, um, both of which were denied by a judge. Yeah. But... In September of 2017, Nicole and her new lawyer, Randy Schaefer, filed a writ of habeas corpus. Mm. They claimed that the police department planted evidence. What evidence? So, there is dash cam footage from far away. You can find this very easily online. I watched it, and I looked for what these people are talking about, and I cannot see. So, they say... And this dash cam footage, it shows Nicole to the very far right side, super far away. She's standing in front of lights. She's standing in front of, you know, wreckage. Um, It looks, from what they're saying, it looks like she's wearing both of her white sneakers. Um, It looks like she's standing level. I will agree. It looks like she's standing level. Mm -hmm. But they say that since there was one left shoe and bloody sock, found in the driver's side you know floorboard of the car Mm -hmm. they say that she was wearing her both her shoes when police arrived at the scene took off a shoe at one point and then police deliberately wedged it underneath the gas pedals to make it look like she had been driving okay we'll talk about that um they also claim that she had insufficient counsel insufficient counsel is a that's a very just reason to appeal that you know that's fine they say that he didn't review some of the footage that they're talking about some of the footage that they've you know that's been made public he didn't review it didn't ask to blah 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 um we're definitely going to talk more about what i feel about this and the questions and theories i am going to skip forward just a little bit a statement from one of the police officers during his testimony that came that arrived at the scene i believe it's the first officer that arrived at the scene he says in a quote i approached balkis and asked whether she was hurt and she indicated that her foot hurt i observed she was only wearing one shoe at that time which was white balkis also said she was not driving the pickup so i began to look around for the driver i briefly looked into the cab of the pickup from the outside of the vehicle solely to check for another occupant and did not see see anyone else inside I feared the occupant she referred to may have been ejected due to the violent nature of the crash. So was her windshield shattered to where it would have been obvious whether or either or if someone was ejected? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, no one was ejected. Okay, because sure. yeah. I was like, wouldn't there be a hole? Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, <laughs> the windshield was definitely like shattered, but definitely not okay. like human size. Okay. Um, so I checked the immediate area while making my way to the second unit to identify and assess the welfare of its occupants. At some point during my assessment of the scene, I saw in Bacchus's pickup a white shoe on the driver's side floorboard. This shoe matched the single shoe Bacchus was wearing on her right foot. I do not specifically remember whether I saw a bloody sock at that point, but my recollection was better at the time I testified during trial, and I defer to that recollection. Um, so this I got, I screenshot it. This is, I, I've also read this affidavit where he writes this but i was watching a video put out by this facebook page that we'll talk about in a second and they show photos of the inside of the truck it looks like there might be two shoes there Mm -hmm. it does but also and they're also saying like to all the trolls out there they keep using the word troll 
How old are we? Exactly. Um, these weren't just thrown in by the medical examiners. They weren't. They were deliberately placed. I'm sorry if you say someone's shoe hurt. Like they, they don't automatically treat crash scenes as homicide scenes. So the evidence right. is not as delicately handled. So I could say, yeah, maybe the the medics that arrived at the scene, like she took her shoe off because it hurt, and they were like, well, we. They probably fucking need this, so they just threw it in the truck. I can mm-hmm. see that happening. It does not look deliberately wedged to me, but anyways, we'll talk about that. Yeah, I have um, a question about that. And so that is something that this free Nicole Bacchus page is using in their in support of their claims. Um, at this point, I want to read Michelle Chisholm's quote at some point. Um, she was Travis Saunders' mom. She said, my son was a wonderful person. He had hundreds of friends show at his funeral. He was very nice, kind-hearted to a fault. He was only 18 years old and graduated 26 days prior to June 29, 2012, the night he was murdered. The latest move by Balkis is no surprise. She has been trying to get out of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, Justice since pleading guilty. There were numerous experts who proved she was guilty. My family has never been the same since this happened and never will be again. My heart is broken. Our family's heart is broken. As for Balkis, all I can say about her is she has gotten what she deserves. It is just impossible to forgive an offender who, re- who refuses to admit the carnage they have caused or the pain that she has inflicted on so many people. I have faith that God is on our side. Balkis has no remorse for what she has done to my family, the Adams, or the poorest families. So, um... That's so sad. Yeah. We're going to talk on that in a second. We're going to skip ahead just a little bit to um, in 2013. So when this trial was happening, a warrant was made for uh, Cambus, Cambus Duran, who is 29 years old, because he gave drinks to Nicole. He gave her three shots within 10 minutes. So he was one of the people that was serving her outside of the wait staff. Um, his conduct was viewed as the most obvious and deliberate. Um, at this time, he was already serving 180 days in jail for a marijuana possession and could not be brought to trial until the end of that. So, um, so you know, if you're thinking, like, well, what about the people that served her? What about the bar closed down because I had to pay a million dollars and this guy got in trouble as well? So at least a little bit of that was kind of taken care of. So now we'll talk about the questions and theories and a little bit of the stuff I've been holding off on. So, first off, I'm just going to say, Travis Saunders and Nicole Adams did not deserve to die. No. They were doing what they should be doing. They were driving on the correct side of the fucking highway. You know, they were just hanging out. They were super young. They had their entire lives ahead of them. I don't know Nicole. I never knew her. I was never in her friend circle. Um, She was beautiful and young. Travis was beautiful and young. (laughs) David did not deserve to get the injuries that he suffered um he deserves every bit of justice and so do his friends and i think it's pathetic and disgusting this attempt to try to disparage the police department and say that they planted evidence on somebody who was so clearly the driver we're we'll get into that um oh and porus um david when asked um what his life is like after losing his two very close friends and he said i know this sounds dramatic but it's not much of a life at all so yeah you also lost all of your like 80 some odd teeth or yeah. however many we have, we have like <laughs> whatever 
you lost all your teeth too. Yeah. That it sucks all the way around. Oh, God, I'm the sure. years of recovery. He's basically fallen off the map. I hope he's. I, I hope too. he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing I want to talk about is there is a Facebook page now, um, entitled "Free Nicole Balkus." Um, when I first looked at it, it had forty-one thousand likes. When I looked at it again today, it had over seventy-two thousand, <gasps> and I wondered why. Then I saw a police report, or not a police report, a um, news story that was aired, I believe, on Channel 11 News, KHOU, Houston, that decided to talk about this case again, um, talk about her most recent appeal and her, you know, basically the claims they're making against the Montgomery County Sheriff's Sheriff's Department. And they also (laughs) showed on the fucking tv this page so that means there are people from all over seeing this oh yeah without knowing the facts without knowing what happened and just seeing this very biased and honest to fucking god not factual page they are they are grasping at straws which really commendable i commend you for grasping at straws if they're there and they Mm -hmm. lead to something their whole thing they're claiming that this guy um, what was his fucking name? Cambiz had more to do with it. That he was this phantom guy driving mm-hmm, That it. he was the phantom guy. My fucking problem with that is there were witnesses from the moment she drove on the wrong side of the road that stopped. And they were like, what the fuck is going yeah. on? There were multiple calls to 911. There were people that stopped and pulled David out of the car. Don't you think they would see somebody running away? Don't you think they would and note that happening? on 45. You can't just like... Hop run forever right. you know or what you do would be running forever and because the por- there's no way to just get off exactly the portion of 95 or 45 they were on it's high up guys i know if you don't live in houston mm-hmm. this is not a rural highway this is a highway that's Real, very yeah. high up you can't just hop off and run into the grass this mm-hmm. is not possible so somebody would have seen an injured bloodied drunk person running down the road so that's not possible the fact that they are saying that police planted evidence when her dna to like a sextillion degree yeah is conclusively found on the driver's side her blood her everything um there is said to be male dna um shown on the shoe which must be from a police officer removing it but as you covered during your exonerations thing someone can be touching something mm-hmm. and that dna isn't conclude like yeah that, that little their tiny, dna tiny will bit, come yeah. up over hers exactly yeah that tiny bit is not enough i think to say that police planted evidence i think it was noted immediately that there was a shoe missing from her and a shoe missing in the car or a shoe found in the car like like you way, said earlier, a medic could have tossed it. Someone exactly. Who, someone could have picked her up at the bar and grazed her shoe. I don't know. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I don't... There's, it's not to me... That's yeah. stupid. I think they're really grasping at straws and, you know, whatever. Exhaust your appeals. That's fine. But to say that the police framed you when you had over four times the legal limit of alcohol you called friends while you were driving and they said that you were driving by yourself like throwing up all over yourself on the side of the road like you drove onto the wrong side of 45 you drove around drunk for an hour you were so disoriented that you didn't know where you were you hit and killed two innocent young people and devastated another's life and you're trying to get out of this now you suck. That's not okay. Yeah, it's it's not fucking okay. Fuck the runners of the Free Nicole page. Fuck yeah. anyone who likes it. And I'm going to urge all of our listeners to go like. There are two 
do not free Nicole Balkis pages <laughs> that have like a hundred likes each Dang. because they're not getting the TV recognition. These pages are run by the family members and the friends of the deceased and the injured. I think these people behind the free Nicole page are getting a false sense of support. Mm-hmm. And they are the the people that are commenting are because these people. They keep saying trolls, like I said. <laughs> they're 18. They're they immature. Yeah, they're immature and they're really grasping at straws. And the people that are supporting them are like, fuck the police. These people definitely planted evidence. There's corruption everywhere, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, guys, are you forgetting that two people are dead because she was four times the legal limit? There's no way. If you use even a tiny part of your brain, there's no way someone right. could have gotten out of the car and ran. There's no way. So what? Police planted evidence? No, they, they yeah. threw a shoe in the car, which yeah, maybe. maybe shouldn't do that if they did. Yeah, there is corruption everywhere, but not yeah. here. There is no way she was not the driver. She was yeah. so piss-ass drunk, she didn't know where she was. She said she wasn't the driver. I read somewhere that she said at one point her dad had been driving her. Oh, my God. She had no idea what was going on. She was drunker than I think I have ever been in my entire life. Oh, I mean, I don't know how she didn't have alcohol poisoning or even, like, coherent. I don't I don't understand that. Like, I, I wrote down, how do you even get on the wrong side of the highway? I know. You know? Like, how do you actually do that? And I think her, her <laughs> hour that's unaccounted for is her leaving the bar and trying to figure out how to get home you're too you're that's why it's impaired driving you don't know what you're doing yeah if we're gonna just like completely break this down why did she take off her shoe why did she take off her sock Mm -hmm. they said there was blood her foot was fractured maybe she was like she must have crushed it in the in the crash i guess yeah and was like oh my god my foot hurts Mm -hmm. and like whatever drunkenly took it off it's not like it flew off you know what i mean so yeah uh, maybe she put it back in the car. I don't know. Like, right. Who knows? I mean, because that's something, that's the thing about, you know, cases like this. Like, you don't, there's a drunk driver and there are three innocent victims. You don't expect it to have to be handled like a homicide case. Mm-hmm. There's a fucking drunk driver standing in front of you. One airbag has gone off. Okay. So this brings me to my next, my last question that I wrote down. So I wrote, first of all, they take her word for it. So why would they make shit up? I know that that's not really what I wanted to say, but basically my point is why would they plant evidence Mm -hmm. if they were literally being like, okay, you're telling us that someone else was driving. Let's go find this person. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were ejected. That in itself is telling me that they believe her. Yeah. They're trying to solve this whole thing. They're not trying to frame her for it. So what makes like where are they getting this planted evidence bullshit if they're yeah. literally trying to go along with it i guess i is mean my they point. respond to this they're on the scene their first priority <laughs> is to try to help people who are surviving so they're like fuck someone got ejected let's find them yeah. you know their their whole thing like their thing um the defense now is saying that uh they wouldn't be able to get a conviction if they didn't have a driver so of course they're gonna plant it on her i'm sorry no she was the driver yeah she was the person standing there she was there and they're also saying that she is too small that the, the, the passenger airbag didn't go off because she was only five foot two and weighed 110 pounds i have my work bag in my passenger seat my lunch and usually a six pack of beer <laughs> and my passenger airbag is always on. yeah that's silly yeah that's fucking stupid that's they're literally grasping at straws and i really hope that this fucking defense attorney isn't some goddamn you know magician because right he might like this is honest to god if i didn't have like such a a close tie to this case like well you're outraged by it too and you don't so 
Yeah, no, we I mean, could still ridiculous. We could probably appreciate, like, this no. defense attorney smart as fuck. Yeah, but you know me and defense attorneys. Exactly, I mean, and I am with you right yeah, now. Yeah, this is dumb. This is, you know what this girl did. Mm-hmm. Serve your time and do your thing. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't disgrace any more people and yeah. don't insult any more people don't insult yourself like take Mm -hmm. some pride in yourself and just do your thing like be in jail and leave it alone yeah she was negligent yes she's fucking stupid and i hate her and i hope she stays in jail for as long as possible yeah Yeah. i mean and i'm hoping this is a uh it's a re-election year Mm. so i'm hoping since we in texas like people that are tough on crime I'm hoping that this means her writ of habeas corpus appeal is denied. So yeah. that's why I decided to do this case because this is this appeal was filed very recently. Something negative could happen in this and if there's anything we can do about it as people, if you're outraged by this, like I don't know what we can do. Go on Facebook. Yeah. God, I hate that that's the answer. I know. I don't, I, know. I don't know what we can do, but we'll post vote vote correctly. Vote correctly, please. Something. Yeah. <laughs> And we'll post the um, two Facebook pages that you should like. Yes. I feel like our listeners are probably like-minded with us. So <laughs> Hopefully. we'll post the ones that you we think you should like on our Facebook page. Yeah. So, But yeah, that is the story of the tragic death of Travis Saunders. Nicole Adams. Adams. Yes, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say Nicole Sanders because <laughs> no, Saunders, Travis, yeah. Adams. Yeah. Um, so Travis Saunders, Nicole Adams, and the injury of David Porras. Um, ironically, if you're ready to like segue, mm-hmm. um, mine actually, it's kind of interesting. It's sort of similar time frame, I guess, ish, but like mine has also like a new addition in the mm. last like year or so. Ooh. So kind of like yours, like up and coming news with what's happening. Yeah. Okay. So the majority of my information is coming from, uh, the TDCAA.com. So it is written by Bill Bishop. Forensic Files and Stephanie McFarland. These are the assistant district attorneys in Travis County, and this was all written in 2007. So I throw in some other websites, but this is mainly the story from them. Okay. So I'll be telling you all about the 2005 murder of Jennifer Cave in Austin. Um, I've had this one on my list for a while. I was sick of talking about dead kids. So I'm going to talk about a dead adult instead. I know. Um, So these two people actually prosecuted this case. Um, And we can just go ahead and start. Anyway, Jennifer Cave was 21, living in Austin at the time of her death. She was originally from Corpus Christi. And after graduating high school, she attended college in San Marcos, Texas. Um, However, she found that she kind of struggled in college and she decided to move to Austin to start a new chapter. Jennifer did have a history of drug addiction. Um, I don't know to what severity it was, if it was recreational, but from what I've read, it was pretty well known with her family that she had a bit of an issue at, at least a certain time. Flash forward to August 16th, 2005, Jennifer responds to an ad posted by a law firm and ends up getting a full-time position with them right then and there at her interview. She was super excited to have a new job and something to really feel proud of. Um, That evening, she spoke with her mother, roommate, and ex-boyfriend, telling them how excited she was for her first day at the new job. 
at around 8.30 p.m., she said she was going to bed and specifically asked her roommate to make sure that she woke her up in the morning if she wasn't awake. Um, and then, however, at around 9.30, so about an hour later, she spoke to a friend, Michael Rodriguez, and told him she was going to spend some time with another friend named Colton, whom she uh, said was having some problems. So... Colton Petoniak, forensic files, <laughs> so, some version of, I don't know, a 22-year-old junior at the University of Texas. He was from Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, I won't give, a lot of the articles really gave like a big in-depth background about him, but I really don't give a fuck. So um, he had no criminal history from Arkansas. His high school records were spotless. Um, he grew up in a regular upper middle class, upper, up, wow upper middle class neighborhood and family um he was a good student blah 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 um he had been charged with a dwi and possession of a controlled substance while at ut so his family was aware of his problems with drugs and alcohol as well just kind of like jennifer so um they did not appear to know that he was also dealing the drugs, however, um, nor to the extent to which his drug use had specifically escalated the summer of 2005. So, uh, aware, but not aware. Mm -hmm. Um, most people believed that Jennifer and Colton's relationship was strictly friendship based and that Jennifer and Colton, or Jennifer used Colton as her drug dealer. Around 11 p.m. that same night, Jennifer and Colton decide to go out to Austin's infamous, infamous, wow, infamous i've had two glasses of rose you guys this is not okay i've been eating like a cow so i don't know infamous sixth street she has work in the morning yes Ugh, exactly choices have you been to sixth street right oh yeah yeah it's everyone has absolute shit it's, show it's terrible yeah um <laughs> so they see some of their mutual friends or not mutual friends but her friends his friends blah 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 they decide to have a big kind of group night out together kind of inadvertently celebrating her new job or something like that um they supposedly went to a bar car called treasure island never heard of it but i don't think i've ever heard of it yeah, yeah i don't doubt that it probably existed um colton was seen flirting with one of jennifer's friends he apparently also called someone to purchase an eighth of cocaine um about an hour later they decided to go um to a bar across the street uh however jennifer and colton never made it inside the bar instead witnesses claim they saw the two walking away heading east on sixth street this is the last time anybody ever really saw him so not long after Jennifer and Colton were seen leaving the bar, her friend from before, Michael Rodriguez, received a call from Jennifer at 12.08 on the morning of August 17th, 2005. So 12.08 a.m. Uh, she told him that the only people could, that could help Colton were in jail. Michael said that she did not seem afraid or anxious, and she said she would call him back. About an hour later, he again spoke to Jennifer. She described Colton as drunk and angry. Jennifer yelled at him while on the phone, quote, what are you doing? That's not my car. And oh my God, he's pissing on that car. <laughs> again, she did not want help or um, did not sound like she was afraid for her safety. I guess like you can kind of take that in context. Like, oh, my God, he's peeing on that car, or pissing right. on that car. You know what I mean? You're so like, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, later on the morning of August 17th, again, Jennifer did not show up for her first day of work. 
dun, dun, dun. The law firm. I find this weird, but anyway. The law firm called her cell phone several times, sent an office manager to her apartment to leave a note to call when she got home. I feel like that's really extensive. It is. It's not like it's a job you've been with for a long time. It's mm-hmm. literally your first day, but I don't know how that law firm works. Whatever. Yeah, maybe that law firm has seen murder cases or something. I don't and know. Like, We're going to go check on this Right. Girl. I'd assume they'd just be like, okay, she's a young girl. Screw it. You yeah, know, right. Whatever. Um, around 3.30 that afternoon, after not hearing from their new employee, Bill Thompson, Jennifer's would have been new boss, um, called Jennifer's mother, Sharon, in Corpus Christi to say that, um, that her daughter had not appeared for work that day. Um, her mother was in charge of paying for Jennifer's cell phone plan at the time. So when she called T-Mobile, she was able to access the last three numbers her phone dialed. Usually that's kind of an issue sometimes mm-hmm. where I've seen where they're like, well, you don't pay for the phone or it's not in your name. And so people are screwed because they don't have access to the information because it's not theirs, right. if you will. So, um... Uh, one of the numbers was Scott Engel. This is Jennifer's ex-boyfriend. He answered right away. Um, she also attempted to reach Colton, but he did not answer. Um, when she reached Michael Rodriguez, so those are the three numbers, is what okay. my point was. Um, Sharon was told about Jennifer's calls the night before with Michael. Um, while Ma- Michael was talking to her on her business phone, Colton finally returned Sharon's call on her cell phone. Um this is when he tells Sharon that he has not seen Jennifer. Right. Uh, Michael Rodriguez, still on the office phone line, immediately told Sharon that Colton was lying to her. Like, no, I know exactly what happened. I have these records, blah, blah, blah. I she, was with she, them. She called me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So during the scramble and worry of Jennifer's family, friends, and new boss, Colton had already gone to great lengths to cover up Jennifer's murder. Damn. It's so convoluted. So shit, we're going right into it. He right. did it. Okay. Well. Oh, man. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so at three in the morning, less than two hours after Michael Rodriguez last talked to Jennifer, Colton went to the apartment of Nora Sullivan, several doors down from his own. While there, he told Nora an odd story about being in a gunfight with at least two Mexicans yeah. uh, and claimed he had fired two shots and uh, may have hit someone. Uh, he removed the magazine from his gun and asked Nora if he had blood on him. She pointed out a small smear on his arm that appeared to be blood. I personally would flip out if some guy came to my door, unloaded his magazine, and was like, hey, do I have blood anywhere? Yep. Like, no, girl, bye. Shut the door. Maybe he was her drug dealer and she was just like, <laughs> we, oh, we talk about it. Drug stuff. Yeah. Uh, Colton's cell phone records show that he exchanged text messages with a girl named Laura Hall after leaving Nora Sullivan's apartment. Laura will become a major player throughout this entire case, so keep her in mind. Um, did you ever watch <laughs> the show uh, Whose Line Is It Anyways? Of course. And he, like, Drew Carey would always be like, and we have Laura Hall and Linda Taylor on the piano. Oh, da, 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 da. That's, that's why her name is yes, familiar to me. That's exactly. I was like, wait, I know this. Side note, why isn't that show on Hulu yet? 
I don't know. I think because it it's so like much. they redid it. It's with like a different. It's like Aisha Tyler or something is the host. Or I'm okay. Am with I that. wrong? I just also really want the old episodes. <laughs> They're amazing. Watch them on YouTube. That's what I do. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um. So all the con. Although the content of text of the text messages um were not retrievable in phone records, one of the messages remained on Colton's cell phone when it was recovered. Okay. So um the message from Laura read, "Quote: What do you mean?" And the word "you" spelled with a capital U. Oh, I hate that. I know. It take long to type the <laughs> right. whole word. It's autocorrect, people. <laughs> uh, the text messages were followed by a 13-minute phone call between each other at 6 a.m. The time frame and stuff doesn't really matter, but it kind of does. But it gets they were lost. The fuck out. Yeah, something. Um, according to the timeline, around the same time that the law firm called Sharon about Jennifer's absence, Colton was in Breed's Hardware, about a half a mile from his apartment. In photos, I've seen it's Ace's, Ace Hardware, but then they say Breed's Hardware, so I don't know, whatever. Uh, in the hardware store, he asked for a saw to cut up a turkey he was frying. Um, that's not where you get that type of saw. Right. Uh, in addition to the 8-inch hacksaw, his receipt showed... That's, I'm sorry, that's just a big... It's actually not. I saw the photo. Less than a foot. And I was like, I don't know if this is really capable, but... Big enough to make a body smaller to fit in a right. thing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's... that was a great sentence. Um, his receipt showed that he bought safety masks, ammonia, and other cleaning products. The surveillance video from the hardware store showed that he was alone... Another receipt in the apartment showed that he had stopped at fucking Burger King on his way home. I have a picture of the receipt. It's amazing. Is it a lot of food? No, it's just he claimed, well, we'll get to it, but he like, he claims he just went to get like a soda or something, but like orders by default of like going through a drive-thru, he ordered a burger, but like it clearly, like the uh, prosecutor specifically points out that it said like no onion. So like he was fully aware of what was happening, you know? Dumb, dumb. Um, around the same time, Laura Hall went to a gas station. Oh, so she's alive at this point. <coughs> no, 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 no. Oh, wait, shit, shit, shit. That's yeah. the other girl. Oh, fuck. Yeah. All right. Went to a gas station, washed her car, and filled it up with gas. Why are you washing your car at 6 in the morning? Mm, I don't know. Around 6.30 in the evening of August 17th, Scott Engel called Colton. He asked about Jennifer's whereabouts and confronted him with the fact that he was the last person to see her. Colton said repeatedly that he had not seen her and ended the phone call by saying, quote, that bitch is going to get me arrested. At 8.34, the same night, Colton again talked to Sharon Cave in response to her persistence, persistent phone calls. He told Sharon and her fiance, uh, he comes into play in a little bit, quote, dude, I'm eating pizza with my friends. Like, OK. I'm sorry, dude. We're trying to find our daughter. <laughs> right. And again, insisted he had not seen Jennifer since the night before. Sharon told Colton that she had contacted the police and that they were going to his apartment. Uh, Colton's cell phone records again revealed that shortly after that call, his cell phone was traveling south on Interstate 35. He had (laughs) just pictured (laughs) the cell phone. phone. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) He attempted numerous calls with the tower hits showing a clear path from Austin to Del Rio on the Texas Mexico border. Whoa. (laughs) Surveillance video later showed that Colton and Laura Hall crossed at the International Bridge into Acuna. I believe it's called Acuna. I think Acuna Matata. I don't know. 2.41 a.m. Um, desperate to find Jennifer, Sharon Cave, and her fiancé, Jim Sedwick, 
come to Austin on August 18th. Before they got to town, they heard from a missing persons detective with the Austin Police Department that Jennifer's car was parked on the street outside of Colton's apartment. They went to the apartment, repeatedly banged on the door and windows calling for Jennifer. Officers from the Austin Police Department arrived only to tell the distraught family that they could not enter. A locksmith was called. They can't open the deadbolt from the apartment. So feeling like they have run out of time, fearing for Jennifer's safety, Jim entered the apartment through a window that they had managed to unlock. Jim Sedgwick walks through the dark apartment. He has no idea what he's about to see in this bathroom. Okay. Oh, no. It's rough. Um, he didn't stay long enough to fully comprehend that his fiance's daughter was not only dead in the bathtub. <laughs> I'm like always perfect timing with him. But um, her head and both of her hands had been severed from her body and they were in a bag on the floor next to the bathtub. The hacksaw was still on top of her on her torso. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of dumbass criminals are these, by I'm, the way? Yeah, They're just like, well, we'll just go to Mexico and they won't right, be able right, to find yeah. us. Um, once he saw Jennifer's body, he immediately left the apartment, called the police. Uh, he knew he had to prevent Sharon from entering the apartment, even if it meant physically restraining her. Yeah. Uh, his apartment was cleared by APD officers. And sealed until a, until a sort search warrant was signed. Um, in many ways, it was a typical college male's apartment, except for the immaculate kitchen, two shell casings on the coffee table, and the mutilated body in the bathtub. Uh, this is what I put in there that I was confused by. I wrote, I thought this was a nice sarcastic moment for the attorneys to throw in there. Because mm-hmm. it kind of was. <laughs> anyway, um, a machete was also found in the dishwasher. Random. That doesn't go in there. Right. No, it doesn't. (laughs) You're right. Uh, The autopsy revealed the cause of death was a single gunshot through the right arm into the torso and lacerating uh, uh, her aorta. Wow. Before lodging under the skin of Jennifer's left back. That's a, like, It's weird how guns, or guns travel, uh, bullets travel. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Wow. One shot to, hey, guys, one seemingly non-fatal shot mm-hmm. can suddenly be fatal. Right. Fuck you, guns. Mm. The other findings were grotesque. The head and hands, like we said, were severed. Why? Multiple po- post-mortem stab wounds to the chest and neck. Why? And there was also a bullet against Jennifer's skull that was fired into her head post-mortem. Yeah, I I agree, Kane. <laughs> um, the we shell need to get a mic for him. I know. <laughs> The shell casing for that shot was discovered in the bathtub only after the body was moved by the medical examiner. Police quickly discovered that Colton's vehicle was parked beneath the apartment complex. Uh, A search warrant of, or excuse me, a search of the car revealed a Smith & Wesson uh, 380, I guess is how you, I don't know how to say that, in the glove box. It was later determined to be the weapon that fired all three casings in the apartment. As well as two projectiles, as well as the two projectiles removed from Jennifer's body, which Jennifer's body, great movie. Mm. Um, also in the vehicle was a road atlas, which was missing the page for Southwest Texas. Hmm. Wonder where they were going. As his apartment was searched, Colton was in Piedras Negras, Mexico, with Laura. They were there for about five days when Crime Stoppers tips led officials to their location, and Mexican authorities removed Colton. Nice. To the custody of the U.S. Mar- United States Marshals. Um, Fuck yeah, Mexico. 
Laura, however, was not arrested. Yet. Is she not, like, an accessory to the crime at this point? It's so stupid. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> we're going to just go right into the trial. Colton testified at his own trial that he doesn't remember shooting Jennifer, but that he must have done so. He claimed he'd been struggling with substance abuse for several years and was on the tail end of a several days long bender by the time he had met up with Jennifer on the night of August 16th. At some point after midnight, he said he passed out, woke up, and he said he found Jennifer's body in the bathtub. Panicked, he called Laura Hall. Um, he testifies that uh, it was Laura who came up with the plan to dismember Jennifer's body. It was also Laura who made a list of items that they needed to complete the job. He testified that he bought the items, but he did not cut up the body and claimed it was also Laura's idea to flee to Mexico. So recap, he's only claiming he shot her, even though he can't remember, and just bought the items to clean up the scene. Everything else he passes off as Laura's fault. Do we find out the reasoning behind the dismemberment? No. Why would you just... Why? I mean, I'd talk about it, but... Okay, yeah, we'll save for questions and theories. I've been interjecting a lot that should be saved, but this is fucking... This is a weird one. It's rough. Um, The prosecutor would place emphasis on... Would place emphasis on Colton's more unsavory aspects of his life. The state claims that he admitted to (laughs) screen names of, quote, see money and, quote, I love money and hoes on his Facebook profile. Ladies, he's single. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very much. They also showed that his favorite movies were Donnie Brasco and... I thought you were going to say Donnie Darko. No. And fellas, both of which contained scenes of body mutilation on his... All right, but that's, you know... I talk about it. Yeah. On his coffee table was a Sopranos DVD where Tony Soprano dismembers a murder victim in a bathtub, then removes his head and sticks it in a bowling bag. In his apartment... The police found toy guns that were very realistic. The defendant had also done computer searches looking at different types of guns. He also had a Scarface poster in his kitchen. Uh, I saw the picture. It was, like, really weird looking. I don't know. Like, why do you have a poster in your kitchen? But uh. you're a young stoner dude. Right. No decorations. (laughs) Um, This reminded me of the stuff um, the prosecution said about Mona Nelson. Where they brought up, like, how she was a boxer and she, like, saw three, like, that gave her reason like yeah she killed that kid but i mean it doesn't i don't know well because those things could be used against someone who is innocent right and it's like well look at their character Mm -hmm. they like horror movies well you can't do that like it's valid but not right it's like valid if he like did exactly what that sopranos guy did right like that would be valid yeah yeah so this is colton's story of how he got the gun that killed jennifer Colton told the jury that a friend wanted to borrow his car after giving him a tattoo and left the gun in the apartment as collateral. He further testified that this particular gun had been used in the past as payment and collateral in other drug transactions. So basically he's saying, this isn't my gun. It's been passed down from person to person in other shady situations. So anybody could have used it. Right. Whatever. Despite his defense team's efforts to push blame on Laura... The jury was out just over an hour before finding Colton Petoniak guilty of murder. The jury would also hear from Sharon Cave during her impact statement before deciding on the sentencing part of the trial. <clears throat> the jury deliberated about two hours before sentencing Colton to 55 years in prison. He will be eligible for parole in 2033. Um, let's discuss Laura Hall. Yeah, we? please. What, what the hell? Um, reading about Laura, I was immediately turned off by her attitude, her actions. She... 
I'm not a fan. Um, I watched her 48 Hours episode. What? I didn't know there was one. But when I was Googling stuff, it came up. It kept saying Dateline, but it's 48 Hours Mystery. Just if you guys want to watch it. What? Mystery? Mystery of why this fucking girl dismembered <laughs> another girl? Right. It's 48 Hours colon Mystery. Mm-hmm. Marine Maher, Forensic Files in lots of jackets. <laughs> They cast her as kind of the main focal point in this episode. Um, I got super confused because, according to Laura, she was just a girl who had dated Colton, but she was very much in love with him, like to the point of obsession. Uh, the uh, the old I'll dismember a body for you, right. love. No, no, no. Like, yeah. Oh no. Um, she cannot stop referencing how much she liked him, how she thought he was so sexy. She talks to Maureen and says, we, like, stayed in bed all day. Like, wink, wink. Like. Gross. I hate She's you. smiling. She's laughing. Like, she's disgusting. Sorry, Laura, but, like, you're kind no, of. Like, no, no, no. Sorry. You're disgusting. Um, <laughs> she wouldn't stop talking about them as a couple. All of which occurred when she's trying to be interviewed about Jennifer and, like, the whole case. Like, she just can't let it go. Stone cold narcissist. Right. She is asked by Maureen Maher if she is a sociopath. And she, like, laughs. And is like, of course I'm not. Like, why would you say that? Because it's you, maybe you are. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if she's trying to distract people from like the real topic or if she's just oh. that obsessed with herself and if Colton. If she was a sociopath, she would right. be distracting because right. that, that'd be smart. So Laura's story goes like this. She showed up at Colton's apartment around midnight. He brings her inside. And I believe she actually claims that like at knife point, he forced her into the bathroom to see Jennifer's remains. No, he didn't. She claims she freaked out. Um, but Colton just casually let her leave. You don't show someone no, a body didn't. and then, like, let them leave. No, you didn't. Yeah. Right. You're, I, you're I don't a fucking know. moron, Laura. Um, again, during the 48 Hours episode, she was asked why she never called the cops. She responded numerous times to this similarly worded question with, I was shocked. I didn't think he was capable of something like that. I wanted to believe him. I was scared for my own life, etc., etc." Laura would then aid in the taking of Colton to Mexico, where they have a photo as evidence of the two, they're smiling and, like, being tourists. Like, I have the picture. It's fucking terrible. Oh it's so gross. So clearly th- showing she wasn't under any sort of threat mm-hmm. or coercion. Um, she claims it's not hard to fake a smile for the camera. However, Laura was... Uh, I mean, I, I kind of agree, but... I don't right. know. She was eventually brought in for questioning, despite not being arrested in the Mexico stunt. Um, police would later find her DNA on a small or small a sandal in the bathroom a towel in the living room and most importantly the gun mm-hmm. she claimed she had probably held the gun weeks before whenever colton colton had got it um i want to reiterate that during or excuse me after seeing uh, jennifer's dismembered corpse supposedly for the first time she runs errands all day right she goes and gets her car washed. Mm-hmm. She goes and gets her gas, the gas put in the car. She supposedly evidently speaks with her mother, her family, her friends. Never once mentions what she's seen. Mm-hmm. And, like, doesn't act like she's under any sort of stress. You know right. what I mean? Right. I don't know. That's goes just, about her day. Right. Goes about, yeah. Right. Um, eventually, though, cops do not believe Laura. Uh, they can only implicate and charge her with hindering apprehension and tampering with evidence. Laura, wa- Laura was unbelievably pissed that she was put in jail or attached to this crime in any shape or form. Um, points for Laura, I do think it was odd, seeing as how she was interviewed for nine hours. 
That's not okay. And never admitted to anything. Interesting. Right. Um, Her story did change a bit here and there, mainly in reference to basically not wanting to believe that Colton was, like, capable of this. So she first she was like, I never went in there or I didn't see anything. I don't I don't know. And it kind of just gradually was like, okay, fine. He forced me to go in there and but I love him and I just don't think that he did it. So it kind of progressed in that direction. So like it kind of changed, but never implicating herself. Right. Um, her alibi was also that she was at a friend's house that night when everything was supposed to have happened. Um, that person testified that she was there as well. The defense makes a good point when they said if the prosecution had any information or lead of her not being at this friend's house, you'd think that they would have found it and brought it up in their defense. Yeah. Um, there's all no, also no certain evidence that links Laura to the dismemberment of Jennifer. DNA recovered on a buck knife, a machete, and a hacksaw that was left resting on top of Jennifer's body only matched Colton and Jennifer. It never linked back to Laura. During Colton's trial, as I mentioned before, he blamed a lot on Laura. Um, I find it strange because the whole time before the trial, nobody turned their back on each other. You know, everyone had their set story of this is what happened. They were on the same page, but then he threw her under the bus. And I don't know if that was his attorney's sort of ploy to pass off everything or what. But I I thought that was weird. Yeah. You guys have your story and you stick to it and it makes it sound believable. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden it's different and then she gets pissed. So anyway, Laura would be sentenced to five years for the aforementioned hindering apprehension and tampering with evidence. Luckily for her, she would only spend 17 months in prison. But wait, (laughs) Laura's appeal was granted. They confirmed that her first hearing wasn't fair. So that's when she gets out after 17 months. But it came with the promise of a new sentencing trial where she could be given even more than the initial five years. Hmm. She was free for about a year before her new trial began. Exculpatory evidence. (laughs) Yeah. I would just wait out the five years. This is when the the 48 hours thing was filmed. Okay. During that year. During the year. Mm -hmm. Okay. so exculpatory evidence would surface that a taxi cab driver testified that Laura had told him during a conversation during her ride. Um, I guess he like they started talking and he was like, oh, what's your boyfriend in jail for? Or who'd your boyfriend kill? Something like that. And she goes, he's in jail for killing, quote, some bitch. Her defense to that Kurt statement was that she didn't not only didn't know who Jennifer was, but that she didn't even know Jennifer existed, which is like. Could you be more catty? Right. I don't know. It sounds tacky, but whatever. The exculpatory part was that the driver actually couldn't pick Laura out of a lineup, yet he was allowed to testify against her. That's not, yeah. Right. Pretty unfair, if you ask me. However, during her retrial, prosecutors played jail jail phone call recordings of Laura threatening Sharon Cave, talking about tracking down jurors from her trial, and repeatedly disparaging her own parents. She continues to assert her innocence through the approximately one and a half hours of phone calls played for jurors. In one phone call from January 2008, Laura spoke to her grandmother about the recently aired 48-hour special that I watched. She asked her grandmother how she sounded and said, quote, I thought that dead girl's mom sounded like a real moron. In a real delusional moment (laughs) during a phone call between Laura and her parents later that month, Laura asked her mother, Carol Hall, what the people at work thought of the 48 hours show. Oh, yeah. She's a sociopath. <laughs> right? She's a narcissist. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I'm going to, like, put some of the recordings of this 48 hours thing on the episode. Please. <laughs> it's so bad. 
And Carol told her daughter that they thought the worst, the people that she worked with, they thought that the worst thing about her is that she got a Colton tattoo shortly after the murder. It's actually not that bad looking. It, it honestly reminds me of um, the one on your wrist, that font. Really? And it's like that size. It's like on her ankle. It really doesn't look bad at all. Mm. But it shows it in the episode. And I was like, stop. This is too good. She's a dummy. She's, she's something. She's wow. something. Um, anyways. Also guilty. Also very guilty. Some, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, throughout the phone calls, Laura sounded increasingly desperate to get out of jail, threatening violence and suicide if her parents would not pay a bondsman about 16 grand. Wow. Right. She told her grandmother at one point, quote, I've lost everything. I really have nothing to live for. She told her mother, quote, I will kill you when she refused to pay for Laura's release. She also called Sharon Cave, quote, garbage, followed up with, quote, the trash gets pity. God help us. Ugh. She sucks. So yeah. I'm going to look up a picture of her hair. Oh, she has really bad eyebrows. Um, oh, yay. <laughs> uh, during her testimony in Laura's free trial, Sharon Cave says, quote, I've seeded Jennifer's grave with blue bonnets because of her blue eyes. Sharon also uh, shared the horror of having her daughter dismembered and her unease that never that she never got to see what her daughter um, got to see her daughter before she was buried. Quote, every time I visit her grave, I say, I hope her hands made it. Did she have earrings on? Were her toes painted? Really sad. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't know. You, you didn't get to see your kid? Like, would you no, want to see her? I don't, don't know. Yeah, you don't know what her... Uh, Laura had no discernible reaction when Sharon spoke uh, during her victim impact statement. Laura did, however, begin to sob loudly as her father testified later as a defense witness, stating that he would help make sure that she was successful if given probation. Lauren Hall, her father, also said his daughter suffers from bipolar disorder. This is my absolute favorite part. Did you see her? Oh, I saw her, yeah. Okay. No, her eyebrows suck. Um, <clears throat> on cross-examination, prosecutor Allison Wetzel. What? Wetzel. I know an Allison Wetzel. W-E-T-Z-E-L. Yep. Maybe it's her. No, it's not. She's a, she's a, a mama bodybuilder badass. Oh. But yeah, that's very that strange because that's a really unique last yeah. name. <laughs> uh, she opened her questioning by asking Laura's father, did her, bipo- <laughs> did her bipolar disorder cause her to cut Jennifer Cave's head off? I love her. I know. Oh. Not very funny yay. in regards to people who suffer from bipolar disorder, but like. I do. Still pretty clever. You don't cut people's heads no. off. No. no. You maybe throw some stuff around or get really, <laughs> really sad. There is some other things, yeah. but you don't cut a head off. Uh, despite all the things that point to Laura's culpability and things in Laura's defense, during her retrial in, to- in 2010, she would be sentenced to 10 years on the same charges as before. Yay. Just wait. <laughs> oh, just wait. There's more. Like, there's more years. There's more. Yeah. The four again. The forty-eight hours episode said she was expected to be released in 2014. Oh fuck. However, I found an article that said her parole had been denied at each hearing. But then, on her Texas Department of Criminal Justice record, it said she had finally been approved for parole oh, on March first, 2018. No. And was available for immediate release <laughs> with mandatory supervision. <laughs> I cannot find any single news article on her parole. No one's talking about it. So she's been out for like 10 days now. Yeah. Like 12 days-ish. Yeah. Almost 13 days. Oh. But I don't know if like there's a waiting period. 
I, I don't know because nothing has yeah, been like said. Yeah, like a halfway house situation. Or- I mean, the mandatory supervision, she has to have like hardcore supervision. Yeah, she's going to go chop someone up again. Right. So, just wait. Colton's appeals. Oh, fuck. Okay. Wait, how long was he put away for? Uh, it was like... 55 years. Thank you. Okay. First, to lead his appeals is that he would... Uh, it would later come to light that Laura made some incriminating statements during her time in jail to fellow inmates. I wonder wonder how. She's not... <laughs> She's literally so crazy. Prosecutors offered testimony from her former cellmate in Travis County Jail, Henrietta Langenbach, Forensic Files. Um, Henrietta told the jury that during the three weeks the two shared a cell, Laura made several statements about her involvement, including that she was in charge of the mutilation in order to keep the police from identifying Jennifer's body. Uh, Henrietta said that Laura told her that she didn't understand, quote, what the big fuss was about. She said, quote, after all, Jennifer was nothing. She was nobody. What a bitch. Jealous She's bitch. daughter, someone's friend. Right. Yeah, someone yeah. that your fucking shitty-ass boyfriend probably had a crush on because right. she's beautiful. Exactly. Secondly, Colton's neighbor, Nora Sullivan, who we spoke about earlier, the one that had gone, um, he had gone to about the blood and the gunfight or whatever. Laura came to Nora during 2006 when Colton was arrested laura had not been so laura's still free walking around not being charged with anything at this point <coughs> she says that laura came to her and said that after colton shot jennifer that he sat in his living room drinking beer watching tv instead of using the tools that he had bought at the hardware store Nora said that laura seemed frustrated by colton's laziness saying that she had been trying to motivate colton to finish the job thirdly december 2017 so Colton submitted his request for a new trial. His attorneys have affidavits of three different men stating that they were with Colton on, or excuse me, they were with Colton or that nothing had occurred in the apartment at least until they had left around 520 that morning. His lawyers say the new information contradicts the prosecutor's theory that Jennifer died earlier around 3 a.m. based on Nora Sullivan's testimony that Colton had arrived at her apartment around that time. So her initial statement was that he showed up at her door at this time, blah, blah, blah. They now have emails, phone calls, signed documents saying that nothing happened. They were there. Who I don't know how you missed those people in the first trial, but right. okay. Lastly, at the time of the murder or excuse me, the time of the murder is further questioned in another affidavit from fucking Nora Sullivan, this bitch, Mm. um, who said she was high on meth. Oh, fuck. (laughs) And there's a chance (laughs) she provided inaccurate testimony about the time of her interaction with Colton. So this corroborates with these new affidavits from the other guys. Um, She can't keep her story straight. I don't know what to believe. Like, were you on meth? Were you at your apartment? Like, what's going on? Um, All of his appeals have been denied. Um, questions and theories. I have so many that we yeah. never get through it all. Um, I guess, first of all, why did this even happen? Happen? Were Jennifer and Colton just friends? Did he want something more? Was there really a Mexican drug fight, gun fight in the apartment? I don't know. What, yeah. what are your thoughts? I don't, I think that was all kind of bullshit. He was probably tweaking out. Um, I wish we knew what drugs he was on. Da- absolutely coke, and he was probably drunk, but I wish we knew what other drugs because, you know, he could have been a meth dealer, went over to Nora, mm-hmm. they do meth together, whatever. Like, he's tweaking out. He, that's a story that he comes up with or mm-hmm. something to 
maybe explain away why he's so frazzled or any gunshots she happened to have heard. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know. I, the apartments I do aren't believe far away. They are? No, they're not. Okay, yeah. Then that would explain away any gunshots yeah. she might have heard. I feel like Laura absolutely, she probably, like, I, I kind of line up with that statement that she was, like, coaching him to do it. And, like, mm-hmm. maybe she was smart enough to keep her DNA out of it, but she absolutely had knowledge of it. She absolutely had knowledge before it happened. That's what I put, too. Yeah, like, there, she wouldn't flee to Mexico with him if she had showed up to his apartment and he forces her to look at a body at knife point. Right. I put that, um... I think that the post-mortem gunshot to her head was overkill Mm -hmm. and could have possibly been done by Laura. They did find her DNA on the gun. Mm -hmm. I think that she's absolutely batshit crazy, Mm -hmm. horribly jealous and controlling, Mm -hmm. convinced Colton to dismember this girl, go to Mexico, make it look like she's trying to maybe help him. Right. But in the end, she's going to help him get caught. She's going to play the victim. And this is all because she was probably just pissed that he, that was he was caught by her with Jennifer. Yeah. Probably. Personally. Yeah, like a total Jody Arias situation. Yes, absolutely. Fucking Hide behind the shit. Christmas tree. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, God. I'll never let that go. No, that's insane. Also, who goes to Burger King after you maybe shot someone mm-hmm. and you just purchased the shit to clean up the situation? Mm-hmm. I think that action right there shows Colton's culpability and his, like, mindset. He knew... He was aware of his situation yeah. at that moment. Like, he knew what was going on. He knew what he had done, and he knew that he was, like, <clears throat> no morally onions. okay with it. Yeah. No onions. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you go. <laughs> oh, my God. Because it's, like, sure, I could see going through the motions and just being, like, I'm kind of hungry. I'm going to pull in here and, like, just ordering the first thing. But, like, You're in to shock, say no onions, yeah. like, that also, like, that prosecutor or whatever was right. I like, that's know. not something that you... You never know say. what you're going to be capable of in those situations, but yeah. that's just... You know, that's... that's It's just a weird thing, and it's not defi- it's definitely not, like, hardcore evidence against him, but it's enough to be like, yeah, you just dismember... Or you're about to go dismember a body. Mm-hmm. Like, you have the wits about... Like, she's already dead. She yeah. is dead. There's no point to dismember the body, especially Unless since nothing was done with her limbs. Like... So why? Yeah, they just gave up and yeah. were like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, you just stone cold, like you're driving to the hardware makes store. no sense. You're buying the things on the list. Like, you're within your right mind. Like, you the, know. The picture of the hacksaw, it literally is only that big. That's so weird. It's not big at all. Like, the, the, the why woman. Why would you just use a machete? I don't know. I guess he might have tried and mm. it didn't work. That's why but to, like, get through the bone or something? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Just why would you. Why is the big question? Yeah, we don't why? know why this happened. Why? Because that's. Cause I think he was probably pissed that she murder. probably turned him down. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, and fucking poor Jennifer, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, maybe she struggled with like substance or whatever. Everyone has their own struggles. Exactly. That doesn't mean that she deserved to no. be. That doesn't mean that she was surrounding herself with like terrible people and like she deserved. You know, she like brought this upon herself. Like, mm-hmm. she told someone that she was trying to help this guy like it's possible supposedly been in his trial he says that this was my best friend i could have never done that but it's like but you did how close were you guys really like i really think that he she probably did turn him down Mm -hmm. he got upset he shot her maybe by accident showing her the gun maybe they were reenacting some scarface bullshit there was supposedly Mm -hmm. no safety on the gun so i could see how an accident maybe could have happened but then for 
him to call Laura in a desperate plea of like, fuck, fuck, fuck. I don't know what I just did. She comes over. I'm going to stand by my man. I'm going to get it taken care of. But in the same like context, I'm pissed. Yeah. So I'm going to fuck your life up by making a frame this on you. And- <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I don't think we'll ever know really what happened that night or what the truth is. I don't know if Colton killed Jennifer or Flora did, but I do believe Laura should not have been given such a light sentence in the first place yep. and then released. I don't think Colton should be denied his appeals with pretty substantial new evidence to back up the claims of his innocence. Yeah, that is true. But I, I, I feel like there's some middle ground that we're not reaching. But yeah. Um, as for Jennifer, as usual, I unfortunately was not unable. I was unable to find anything pretty significant about her. Um, from what I've read, I feel that she was a very caring, sweet girl. Um, she had her own set of problems that she was dealing with. Um, her death was tragic on many levels. Um, I just hate that there's this pretty big veil of uncertainty of what really happened. Mm-hmm. Involving the circumstances of her death. Um, Laura Hall is now out on parole. So yeah. if she's as threatening as she claims to be, that sucks. Yeah. That's scary. That does fucking suck. But that's all I had to say. That was the murder of Jennifer Cave. Laura Hall, I would love to interview you, but I'm afraid you'd kill me. I'm afraid of those eyebrows, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> they're so bad. They're really thin and gross. They're really. I mean, they're very 2000. Yeah, they're very current at the time. Yeah. (laughs) But the best part of the whole 48 hours thing was like they did, I guess she was a diver or a swimmer or something like that. And so they. Oh, you were. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) They had her like standing there in her her swimsuit and her goggles. And it's the whole like, it's the hokey ass shit of like when you're in the water, no one can touch me. And you're just by yourself. And you did it, did it, And I'm like, how many times 48 hours has someone said this? Maureen <laughs> Maher, come on. I blame the show more than I blame Laura. <laughs> yeah, they Stupid. gave this crazy person a platform. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's bad. Shouldn't happen. It's really bad. Anyway, that's it. We're done. <sighs> Guys. Out. Yeah, I feel like, I, I always feel like I end this show, like, my first, like, few words are very <laughs> exasperated. Well, no, it's just oh, like, oh. thanks, this sucked. <laughs> but seriously, now I go into the thank you all. Uh-huh. Thank you all so much for listening, though. Seriously, we both hope you enjoyed this episode. And once again, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And please check out our social media for photos on these cases. Links to our sources will be put in the show notes if y'all want for Man, I am... I didn't take my medication today. That's my problem. (laughs) (laughs) Now we know. If you guys want more information, we'll be back in, well, we'll be back next week. Actually, we will. Uh Anyway, we'll be back next week with more Texas True Crime. And if anyone's listening, happy happy Halloween. Halloween.